podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Elizabeth Kipp. She is a longtime seeker of truths with a foot each in the spiritual and scientific worlds. Her life experiences and training enable her to bridge the gap between the two. The importance of having a community of like-minded people around healing from chronic pain cannot be understated. Elizabeth believes when we band together and share our experience, strength, and hope in coping with and healing from chronic pain, that we vastly increase the odds that we will succeed in finding a way of life free from suffering. Elizabeth R. Kipp is a health facilitator specializing in stress and chronic pain management, addiction recovery, meditation, and yoga. She is a yoga-informed recovery coach, Recovery 2.0, certified kundalini yoga teacher, ancestral clearing practitioner, and EFT slash tapping practitioner, focused on helping people realize the power of their inherent healing. Elizabeth also holds a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Delaware. Elizabeth now works to help others achieve the same healing for themselves that she experienced directly from the work she teaches. She is the author of The Way Through Chronic Pain, Tools to Reclaim Your Healing Power. Elizabeth offers one-on-one and group sessions in stress and chronic pain management and addiction recovery, forgiveness and ancestral clearing, kundalini yoga and meditation, and conscious communication. To learn more about Elizabeth and her work, please visit elizabethkipp.com. Here is the interview with Elizabeth Kipp. In your own words, who is Elizabeth Kipp? Thank you, Valeria. Elizabeth Kipp is an addiction recovery coach, a chronic pain specialist, and an ancestral clearing practitioner. And I'm a soul on a mission to live a conscious life. I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned off record, before we talk about some of the topics in your book, The Way Through Chronic Pain, Tools to Reclaim Your Healing Power. So my first warm-up question has to do with the word pain. How is pain different from suffering? Pain is a sensation. Suffering comes when we judge it as bad. It's that simple. Pain is a sensation. It's just energy in the body that's intense. But when we judge it as bad, we suffer. 
That is amazing. Yeah, I heard something before that kind of opened up my mind. The word feeling in emotion. Someone said to me that that's also different. Do you see these two words that as separate, different meanings? I do, but understand I'm not a therapist or psychologist. So <laughs> my grounding is in life experience. Uh, I have more like my science background is, is more just basic biology and uh, and of course recovery and and so I would say from from my point of view feelings are sensations in the bodies emotions are stories we make up about them like we have energy in the body we might see we might see something and we and and we might feel very excited in the body and we call it fear or we call it anxiety because whatever we saw maybe was like if I don't get out of here, I'm going to get in trouble, right? Or, or, uh, or I can't handle that. You see the difference? One's just energy in the body, and the other one is the story about the energy in the body. It's an interpretation, perception. Yeah, very interesting. And, and I'm not saying I'm not saying saying that they're wrong. I'm just saying that's what we do. Yeah, right, right. I understand that perfectly, and that's <laughs> what I do <laughs> for sure. Me too. <laughs> So what is another word for recovery? Well, you can look at that a few different ways. One would be we come back to ourselves, right? We're in, we experience trauma or a, a chronic illness and we, we get disconnected from, or, or, or addiction, and we get disconnected from our true self, our soul. We are looking outside of ourselves for a solution and not in, instead of inside. Um, we're already whole, but we forget that. So recovery is when we remember who we are, when we start looking within for the solution. I'm not saying the only solutions are within. I'm just saying most of the deep ones are. <laughs> I like that. Most of the deep answers are right inside of us. So true. Yeah, I agree, 100%. So I have a few questions about life itself. And the first one had to be this one. What is life? What is this experience we are having? Oh, beautiful. I would say just from a, a mother nature, kind of my observing mother nature, life is a pulse. Life is, a, is like an impulse, the impulse of life. And energy of renewal, constant change, constant renewal, constant adventure. That's life. So, yeah, I love that. Hard question. <laughs> yeah, it resonates true, right? And then my follow up question is what do you think is the opposite of life? The opposite of life is suffering. When we resist, well, or, or resistance would be another one, when we resist that impulse. When we resist what's what's here, judgment's another one. When we're not able to fully accept what's here in this moment. I love that answer. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom, deep wisdom there. True. What do you think is the purpose of this experience? Well, one is to have the experience of being human. And I would also say, in addition to remembering who we truly are, my experience on this planet uh, with the things that I've been through, I'm on a mission and my job is to complete the mission. Do you believe we all have a mission, a purpose? 
I do. Based on my experience, I certainly do. Yep. Is that a choice? Do we have a choice to live that purpose or not? I believe we do. I believe, well, from my experience, and remember, I have this ancestral, I, I work in the, with, the, with the lineage um, as well, with lineage energies. My experience is that we come in with certain, like the gifts and the joys of our ancestors. And it's up to us what we do in the present moment with those energies. That's where the choice is. Yeah. So we do have a choice. Yeah. I like that idea too. <laughs> and that my next question is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? To be fully in the present moment and without judgment. Fully present without judgment would be my, my definition of freedom. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? Well, my, my mission is to help help people put an end to suffering. That's just my vision for the, for the world. I'd like to see world peace go viral. And uh, our biggest need right now is we've completely forgotten who we are. We've disconnected from our spiritual truths and we're caught up in a very fierce cycle of addiction as a human species. That's just my perspective. Addiction, that's an interesting word, obsession, addiction. It sounds very much like the opposite of life, <laughs> being stuck somewhere. Yeah, let me put a, let me put a, uh, a definition on that for, for, the, for the viewers. Yeah. Addiction is any behavior that we continue to do that hurts us, that has a negative consequence. So that's not just substance abuse, alcohol, it can be, you know, all kinds of things, all kinds of behaviors. Being a power hungry could be an addiction. There's a, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, just to put a, a little nuance there. Yeah, that's an interesting addition to that word, because I used to think that addiction was just something that would look negative from the get go. And I remember being sort of obsessed with the idea of fitness, of being healthy, eating healthy all the time and working out every day. And that was an obsession. Turned out to be a negative one, but it didn't look that way. It looked really, I mean, everyone was like, they loved me for doing what I did. And it was hurting me because I was trying to please people and look in a certain way. It had a negative consequence on your life ultimately. So I'll be asking more questions about that in a moment. But for now, let me ask you another question about love. What is love to you, Elizabeth? Well, it sits in the heart and it's an unconditional acceptance of what is. That includes ourselves, others, uh, life itself, all beings, all life itself, uh, the whole situation. I love your answer. <laughs> That word, unconditional, I love that. Uh, though it seems like a lot of work to get there, it's challenging, but it might not. It might be really simple. <laughs> like you said, just accepting this moment, the way it is, and everything that's happening. That's where our, that's where our judgment comes in and gets in the way. Yeah, true. When, when we're open and love is just what it is, it's this expansive... It's this ex expansive experience. As soon as we come in and judge, oh, I love mm -hmm. this, but I don't love that. That's when we get in trouble. Yeah. So true. It's almost like 
coming from a state of mind to a state of heart, of being. Yes, and beautifully said. Oh my goodness, that's just beautifully said. It makes sense, right? Because the Mm -hmm. mind is what separates everything and judges everything, but this is the nature of the mind anyway. So it's a tool. It's not supposed to be confused with who we are. Yes. My next question is about peace. What is your understanding and idea of peace? Again, that would be a state of being where uh, one is in full acceptance of the moment. (laughs) Yes. Present, accepting what is. It's the state of being when we're there. Yes. Yes, a thousand times. (laughs) Do you ever use the word God? I do, but you know that the concept God is this infinite the creator of, of all of this, whatever this is, all of this, the creator uh, has many names, many names. You know, God, divine, holy father, divine mother, oneness, infinite one, uh, great spirit. There's creators, a gazillion names. And, um, but it's, it's all the same. And I don't think it has an ego, so I don't really think it cares what we call it. <laughs> But, you know, humans, on the other hand, have been arguing about the name for like ever. True. Right? That's the source of so much uh, suffering on this planet is the argument over what we're going to call it. Mm, That's so true. So true. So true. I agree. Let's talk about your work. And I have to ask you this question first. How did you become a writer? Oh, I think I kind of came in with that. (laughs) I have uh, yeah. people in my family uh, that are writers already, and and it's just something that I just started school and I started writing. It just was easy. It's it's always been something that. So I think I just came in with it. It was a beautiful gift that I came in with. Yeah, I love that. The, what you said, it's a gift, right? It came with you. What was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, The Way Through Chronic Pain? Oh, well, I had an adventure in my own life. I experienced uh, 59 years of of gut pain and and 40 years of back pain uh, due to an accident and a lot of confusion in the medical world about how to handle it. And finally, um, I found a doctor who actually knew how to uh, help me heal from it. And it was, I met thousands of other chronic pain sufferers over the years. And I went all over the place looking for one, you know, a solution here, a solution there. I tried all kinds of healing modalities. And mostly I kind of got stuck up in the Western model and they don't know what to do with chronic pain other than treat it with, well, not so much now. I don't know what they're going to do with it now, but with uh, opiates and benzodiazepines for the anxiety, for the pain. And so that was their answer. But the, the strange thing was, they assumed I wouldn't get better. They never asked the question, why isn't Elizabeth healing? They just assumed I wouldn't. And that's a very scary assumption for any patient. And anyway, I, I finally found the answers that I was looking for. I, I searched the world for the answers. I found the answers I cleared the pain and I was, I was determined to write this book to share with the world what I had learned so that, we, uh, so that patients that had this, you're never going to, they said to me, you will be in level seven out of 10 pain 
24-7 for the rest of your life. And you will be in a wheelchair when you're 40. They pronounced me. And, and you will not heal. So I wrote this book to say that's actually incorrect. And uh, to breathe uh, a real hope into other chronic pain sufferers in the world. You know, the, the National Institutes of Health estimate that fully 25% of North America is in chronic pain across all socioeconomic uh, measures, including children. And the World Health Organization estimates a fifth of the world is in chronic pain. So this is a, um, this is a, this is a huge problem. And just so we're clear, chronic pain is any pain, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, psychological, any pain. The body can't tell the difference between one and the other. So any pain that's felt for 15 days out of 30 for three months or more is chronic. I'll be asking you questions about how you did it in the moment. I have a lot of questions here. So your biography says that you are a movement and yoga therapist. No, that's not, that's not correct. The gentleman that wrote the foreword to my book yeah. is a movement and yoga therapist, Guru Prem oh. He wrote the foreword. Okay, so I confused. I'm a, I'm a kundalini yoga. I'm a yoga teacher. And I'm an addiction recovery coach, a chronic pain specialist, and ancestral clearing practitioner. But I, I haven't got the, uh, the, the credentials to call myself a yoga therapist. Yep. So how did you um, came across yoga? Oh, heavens. Um, actually, yoga was, golly, I started getting involved in yoga back in 1973 or something. And I did Hatha yoga for, well, I had a regular Hatha yoga practice for 20 years. And then I then I'm uh, when I got when my back uh, uh, all that back pain and gut pain disappeared. I I went straight into Kundalini yoga. So I've I've been doing which is a more active uh, yoga, and I've been doing that for six and a half years as well as teaching. So I, I went in right went right away into teacher training. Yoga was one of the methods that you use for healing. Yoga means union. So mind, body, spirit, union is what that's referring to. And it's, it's a reminder to everyone, you can't separate mind, body from spirit. Now, Western medicine tries to do that, but even they're realizing that those three things are linked together. So when one is off kilter, then you look at the other two, they're all off kilter. And so you, you, when you treat one, you treat them all. Uh, yoga, uh, the physical asana, was uh, physical movement, which uh, so many people are familiar with these days, is just one of the eight limbs of yoga. Um, I had this very gentle uh, hatha yoga practice for uh, 20 years, which with my back, it, it actually helped keep me limber until we could finally find an answer. So that was beautiful. And the other thing that it, it, it provided was a, uh, I, I've had a meditation practice for over 40 years, but yoga helped me dial that meditation in a little bit tighter. And that, I swear, that's what kept me sane all through all those, all those years. I had a very supportive family too. I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, I, can't uh, I, I have to, I have to under, underscore that. Uh, and my meditation practice was, was very instrumental. Yeah, this is one of the things that I never got into yoga because there were so many kinds and I never knew which one to choose from. So I'm wondering why there are so many different kinds of yoga. Oh, well, there's, yeah, I, it kind of got westernized and, and split up and that's mm -hmm. unfortunate. But if you go back to 
Uh, and there's a lot of different lineages uh, come out of out of India. You know, we can have a whole conversation on that. But if it was me and, and it was a, a beginner uh, person that had never had yoga at all, I would say something like restorative yoga or hatha yoga, kundalini yoga. I get a lot of first timers in my kundalini classes, and it's it, they love it. So they're all they're they're all uh, beautiful practices. Okay, so I'll restorative. Yeah, I just interviewed somebody about that. That was a beautiful one because it has to do a lot with resting, I noticed. They are very gentle poses. And, yeah. yeah, and yin yoga is another one that's quite restful. It's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful, gentle, yeah, they, all these practices. The Kundalini is a little more, a little more energetic, but, but it's very uh, powerful. So, yeah, I would say just start. And if, you, you know, go into a class and if, you, uh, if it calls to you, you know, come back, go back. And if it doesn't, uh, find another kind. Another thing that turned me away from it is that I sensed the competition, like women competing with one another. And that, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so there's three rules in my yoga class that I, I tell the class, you know, at least once in every class. Here are the rules. Honor your body, number one. Number two, don't let the yoga teacher hurt you. And number three, don't compare yourself to anyone else in the room. This is your practice. Right. I love those rules, especially the last one too. <laughs> yeah, because we we we're, we're, we become when we're and this is one of the things that's so beautiful about yoga is it gets us to battle that ego because our ego is going crazy in the room. Yeah. Oh, I don't look like her, and I can't do it like her. That's just the ego, and yoga is about bringing that that ego you know, to make it, as one of my teachers says, to make it your amigo instead of this thing that that, that drags you around and, and, and manipulates you, you, you know, it's the other way around. It's kind of where we're, what we're going for. Yeah, I agree. And that will become a beautiful practice. Yeah, deep practice. I have a question here about the misunderstandings of chronic pain. What are some of the misunderstandings you discovered from your experience with treating patients or yourself even? I don't treat anybody because I'm not a doctor. I'm just going to be clear about that. I do coaching uh, with uh, chronic pain, uh, people that are in chronic pain or in recovery from chronic pain because I've been through it and I, I can pretty much spot any block anybody's got around their pain. Common misunderstandings are, first of all, most people don't know what chronic pain actually is, which I defined earlier. They think it's just physical. It's not. Emotional pain can journal right over into physical pain, as can spiritual pain. Uh, imagine grief. You know, grief can grief can turn into physical pain. So it's it's all it's all the same thing in the body. Also, one of the things I really tried to bring out in my book, because of this misunderstanding. People don't really understand what's going on inside of a chronic pain patient's head, like the voices, the things they're saying to themselves or about their pain. And so what happens with a chronic pain patient is they're either quiet because they don't want to complain at all, or they complain all the time. So there's this, you know, it's kind of one way or the other. And What's really going on in there is they're scared. They don't feel like people hear them. And I can't tell you, and I'll add one more thing. I can't tell you how many doctors I sat in front of that said to me, 
your pain is in your head and which I found very insulting and they couldn't get away they couldn't get away with that with me because I had a science background and I would say to them you're you're right it is in my head it's in my brain it's the way my brain is processing the pain mm-hmm. they were meaning it was like this mental this mental obsession or something that's not that's not correct so there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding at least that doctors are putting out that the doctors that I saw, and I saw many, many of them, uh, Western doctors, and I'm not dissing all doctors. I'm just dissing ones that don't understand chronic pain. There, there are ones out there that are, that are wonderful with chronic pain, but there are those that don't understand it. They, they don't really get trained in chronic pain in, in medical school. They get trained in, in uh, how to handle uh, emergency trauma. They're really good at that right? How to do surgeries. They're really good at at acute conditions, not so good at chronic. That's just the way Western medical medicine is taught. I really like the way in your book, and hopefully that was in your book on your biography, you say something interesting. You say, we are at war with pain. We have forgotten that pain is simply a part of healing. Yeah. So the body, thank you for bringing that up. It's an important point. It's an, it's an important distinction. The body is, is this beautiful, intricate, powerful machine. And it has to let us know when uh, we need to rest or readjust our uh, way of going. And pain is the way that that message gets across. And so we get an injury and we get a lot of sensation in the body and we call it pain. And it's the body's message to, that, that we need to change our actions, that we need to, you know, because it, it needs time to heal. So the thing is, is that when I was a child, uh, this is the way I was raised and, and, and you still see this uh, nowadays. I would scrape my knee or somebody around me would, would bump themselves or fall down or whatever it was. And the adults would literally rush to them and do everything they could immediately to stop that pain. Yeah. And so the message was, oh my God, this thing is horrible. The adults are getting all upset and we have to, we have to find the fastest way to make the pain go away as possible. Now that's a very strong message and it's, the, it's actually an incorrect message. Because the body will take care of the healing. If, if we just get out of the way and like follow doctor's orders, the doctor can, can give us orders the best can, to set the conditions for healing, but it can't, doctors cannot tell the body how to heal. Only the body knows how to do that. Doctors can help us set conditions, optimal conditions for healing but the body is the one that's doing the healing. So we have to get out of the way with our judgments and our worries and our concerns and just let the body do what it's doing. It's true. And this is something that, yeah, it's challenging when we have practiced the opposite, (laughs) trying to numb the pain. Yeah, we have to, we really have to retrain our uh, beliefs and uh, really shift our beliefs around uh, uh, around pain and our reaction to it and what, what we think about it. And and uh, it's just, uh, it took me a while. It's really important because when, when, when I'm, my, my uh, default, my old behavior was whenever I f- felt pain, I would do everything I could to resist it, push it away, numb it, 
uh, deny it, (laughs) anything but accept it. I did everything else but, right? (laughs) It's completely opposite opposite of what really we need to do. We need to accept that it's there and let the body handle it, you know, and do what we have to do to to rest and feed ourselves well and et cetera to, to let it heal. Yes. Yeah. I love that approach. It's not even an approach to me. It's a way of life. But there's something else that you mentioned in your book. You say the body and the breath are always in the present moment. So I hear that a lot, how healing the present moment is. So my question is, how do we practice to be more in the moment? Great question. Well, I'll start with the premise that where does healing happen? And healing can't happen in the past because that's already done. And it can't happen in the future because that hasn't happened yet. So it's only available in the present moment. So our understanding is healing is here. So that's number one. Being present I do a lot of work with people around. That's one of the first things I do with a new chronic pain client is, uh, first of all, I bring ancestral clearing because they usually come in with worry energy, kind of familial patterns, negative familial patterns or past patterns, past behavior patterns. And so I I help them. uh, We work with those. And then I work with them around being able to sit still. Lots of people don't, they can't sit still. They, they, you know, they've had like, maybe they've had experience when they were little uh, in school or in, you know, in their home, I don't know. And, and they heard this, sit down and be quiet, yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. when you're sitting with that kind of energy around sitting still, when, you're, when you have that and it's in your system and you haven't made peace with it, it's really hard to sit still. Yeah. Because you've got this negative, you've got this negative uh, programming around. So the next thing I do is help them be able to find it, you know, find sit still, find a comfort comfortable seat, and then we take and work with the attention. Of we we turn the mind, we just get the mind to attend to the breath. Yeah, and that, and we just put. But where is your attention in the present moment? Where is your attention? Stay with the breath. Now, the interesting thing is the mind is a thought maker. So here we're putting our attention on the breath and we're breathing, inhale and exhale. And all of a sudden there's like this thought. And we're off on some tangent thinking about the thought. (laughs) And we're supposed to be meditating and we we come back to the breath, you know, and this happens. This is a meditation session. This is is what they're like. (laughs) It doesn't matter how many times your thoughts steal your attention away in meditation. It matters how many times you come back to the present moment and keep breathing. Every time I try to reject the thoughts, that's when I, I notice that I'm more attached to them. So it sure. seems like the idea is what you said earlier about pain is just accepting that they are there. Yeah, we can, in meditation, it's a beautiful, uh, this is why it's used so much in yoga. It's a beautiful space because it's a space where we're watching ourselves. We're aware that we're here, but we're not, and we're watching our thoughts, but we're not our thoughts right. and we're not our pain. Yeah. Mm. We're, we're not our body. Our body's in us. We're a soul having a human experience. Right. The mind here is trying to separate uh, physical pain from emotions that they can be very painful too. 
But the physical pain, it's really challenging to ignore that, not to be affected by... Well, I don't know. I've had, you know, physical pain. There's a bunch of different kinds of physical pain. I've had physical pain, different kinds, and I've had uh, I've had all kinds of different emotional pains, and and I've had crushing grief, and it's all the same signal to the body. It hurts. It sends the same signal. The body cannot tell the difference between one kind of pain and the other. The mind has comments about it, but the body can't tell the difference. How did you do it and how do we do it? How do we learn? Is that meditation goes back to this practice of staying present? Well, that's part of it. I mean, I I wrote a whole book about it and other people have written books. So this is just a short interview. But I'll tell you the most, um, other than being present, I'll tell you, and and I've alluded to it many times during this conversation, the most important piece of information that I got other than, you know, allow yeah. <laughs> <to> <laughs> right. be present, yeah. um, start arguing with the pain, was from Dr. Peter Prescott, who took me through his, I took, went through his pain management program, bless his soul, He's, he passed on uh, some years ago. And I walked into his uh, pain track uh, room and there's 20 people in there and, and I sat down and, and he says, don't judge the moment. And I was... I didn't know anybody in the room and I was, I didn't know anybody on the campus. I was, you know, I was kind of lost. And I said to myself, I'm not judging anything. I'm just sitting here, you know, in this room listening to you, right? So you can hear my attitude. I'm not <laughs> judging anything. Right. <laughs> so super defensive. Anyway, I stayed quiet. I noticed myself doing that. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> and I, and I sat there, you know, he had my ear and he had the room. And about five sentences later, I realized he was talking about my pain. Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've been judging my pain my whole life as this bad thing that I'm trying to get rid of. And no wonder I was in chronic pain for so long, you know, because I was just feeding it, locking it in with my, with my judgment. So that, that was... Uh, that was probably the, you know, I've, I've said a few of the things that that's certainly a huge one. That sounds like a shift in perspective or some sort of shift, right? And, and, mm. and you asked about liberation before. It's the same thing. I, it was so liberating. Yeah. It was, I was no longer <laughs> in an argument with the present moment. <laughs> right. An argument. That's great. I've <laughs> never heard it that way, but that's what we do for sure. The mind does, right? Yes. <laughs> You talk about the cycle of suffering and addictive habits. Uh, they, are, they are connected. What have you found that locks us into this cycle of suffering? The cycle of suffering is, is this, we, we do this, it's, this, it's this energy we get into. It starts with, we feel a sensation that we don't like, and this is like chronic pain. We don't like it. We feel disconnected from others because we can't share the experience. We may feel disconnected from God or higher power. We may feel like, oh, I'm getting punished or I'm, or I'm being, he's blaming me for something or, or what did I do? Or I must've done something wrong or whatever the story is. We get disconnected and we get disconnected from ourselves because we totally forget. We're so wrapped up in the story of our pain, we forget who we even are. So the first part of that is disconnection. Mm. 
The second part is in our disconnection, we become isolated from others, even from our, our true self and from God again. Then we judge our experience. Oh, this is horrible. Then we get attached to our experience because we can't make it go away. Mm-hmm. So we're in this battle with it. And we try, and then the next one is we try and control it. And the last one is resentment because we realize we try and control it and we can't. And so we get more disconnected and more isolated and we bring in more judgment. We're even more attached. We try and control it even more and we get angry again. So it's this self-feeding cycle and it's a negative spiral. It's a, it's a negative spiral. It, it, you could heal from it, but I'm just saying that's the dynamic. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, a lot of sense. That's one of the things that I found to be very interesting is this habit um, that most of us have of complaining and blaming others, this negativity. It really very much looks like an addiction. Like, wow, that person's addicted to complaining. Well, when you look at the physiology of anger, chronic complaining, those kinds of negative uh, energies, you find that the body, when, when we do those behaviors, the body puts out these chemicals that are actually addicting. So that's, that you're absolutely spot on. It is addictive. Wow. We have to bring healing modalities uh, to, to shift those, to shift it into it. We have to change the body chemistry by our behaviors, which is doable. We just have to do them. That's one of the reasons why I bring something like kundalini yoga into the equation because it's so powerful at helping us shift. Okay, I have to bring some friends to you. <laughs> I have a couple of them. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we all know somebody who needs, but it's another thing that I found challenging is trying to change people. Sometimes we can get caught up in these habits too of trying to change others. Yeah, our biggest problem, uh, all we have to do is change ourselves. Right. That right. That's, you know, we can't change others, but we can change ourselves. And we find, you know, when we change ourselves, uh, often others shift around us. Mm. What do we do when we think that we have shifted enough, that we have changed enough, that we are there, although there's no destination, but and the person around us is still not responding? Well, we're not responsible for them. We're responsible for our side of the street. They have to take responsibility for their stuff. You know, you can kind of, like I have clients that I work with and I can open the door to the present moment for them. Yeah. Here's the present moment, but they mm-hmm. have to walk in. They sure. have to be willing to, oh, okay, I'm going to stop time tripping and, and staying in the past with my story of what happened to me, or I'm going to stop worrying about the future and I'm going to stay right in this present moment. That's They have to get honest and willing and make a commitment to their healing. Mm-hmm. I love your wisdom, Elizabeth. (laughs) I needed to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) So we are almost at the end of the interview and I have so many other points here that I won't be able to go through, but I'll ask you another question. Before I ask you these final questions, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Well, I would like to uh, encourage, I would like to say this. I wrote the book for chronic pain sufferers and those who care for them. Doctors, nurses, family members, and friends. 
And the book offers proven techniques to clear pain and live a life free from suffering. So I encourage people, uh, this, is, this is really, and it's a small book. It's got a lot of information in it, but it's, it's rather succinctly said, so it's a pretty efficient read. You can get it on uh, its paperback or Kindle, and I'm, I'm in, in prep uh, of getting the audio book up. So uh, I just encourage people, um, you know, we cover things like how, con- how chronic stress and our reaction to it contribute to chronic pain and how you can change your behavior to alleviate that. There's proven methods to help heal chronic pain, including a healthy mindset, focus, mindfulness, ancestral clearing, meditation, and breath work. And I include critical elements for a healthy, healthy self-care, including how to develop a daily practice. Yeah, and your book is not just, uh, it sounds very much just that there's a treatment or is advice for one, chronic pain, but actually, to me, it's almost a recipe for life. It's something that we can apply to our lives in general. Wisdom. I, I agree. I, I, because having lived with chronic pain for so long, I, I literally had to find a new way to live and I did. And it's, it's outlined in this book. So I have some final questions for you, Elizabeth, and yeah, I'll ask you this one. These days, how do you define success? What is to be successful? Oh, I would say uh, success would be on a couple of different levels, which is certainly germane to these times. A one would be to be able to take a full inhale and full exhale. Mm, wow. <laughs> you know, just breathing full. Yeah. That is success on one level, right? Yeah. And, and another one is, gives my perspective, is being in integrity with ourselves. A third one, uh, and they're all hooked together there, is truly following our heart in this life. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself as of today? To drop my resistance. I just fought with everything. And I had, uh, I mean, I I still feel it and and I let it go now, but I had so much resistance and I was working with uh, one of my teachers and, and he said, uh, you know, surrender. And I said, I've never surrendered to anything in my life. And I said, when I fall down, I get up. And he said, stay down. And he was a martial artist. So I'm like, I listened to him. I'm like, stay down. It never even occurred to me to, you know, and, and I was like, wow. And then he said, he said, that burden that you're carrying what would it be like for you to just give it all over to God? And because it was him and I respected him so much, I actually considered that. I'd never done anything like that before. And I took my burden and I energy, I can't explain to you kind of how I did it, but I did it energetically and I felt so liberated. So that was a hard lesson, but I'm really grateful that I learned it. And I find myself, uh, whenever I find myself kind of resisting in the world, I go back to that. What a great message for all of us <laughs> to just stay there and rest, right, for a moment. Well, when I'm in, a, in when I have a circumstance that I can't control and I'm trying to fight, you know, that's suffering. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, yes. So I have to admit, I have to, I have to be honest, rigorously honest, and admit that I'm powerless in that moment, and that that's okay. Yeah, and act that's where okay. I can act, and where I can't act, let it go. That's the lesson. But that takes, from what I see, the shift in perspective. Yeah, we need to go from one place to another, the movement. Sure. So two more questions for you. 
If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Huh, at this point, I don't think so. I've actually had three near-death experiences, so I've, I've kind of been to that rodeo and, and already made my, my peace with all of that. I'd have to actually be on my deathbed to answer this question, though. Mm-hmm. I, I might change my mind if I was actually on my deathbed. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good answer, too. Yeah, it's hard to imagine, even. So, last question. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? <laughs> three things I know about for sure. Life changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it will surprise you. And life always finds a way would be the second one. And the third one would be realizing how blessed we are to be in this experience. I'm not sure that answers your question, but that's what's coming in right now. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, and yes. I love your wisdom. I love your presence. Fun, (laughs) but wise. So much wisdom. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm really uh, grateful uh, to have a chance to uh, speak with you today and uh, and share uh, share all this with uh, with your uh, with your listening audience. I have one more technical question: Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Beautiful. Thank you. Yes, you can get get a hold of me at Elizabeth hyphen kip.com. You have to put a dash between my last, my first name and my last name, Elizabeth with a Z hyphen kip, K-I-P-P, like Peter Pan.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Very good. Thanks so much, Valeria. Bye for now, Elizabeth. Bye now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Elizabeth Kip and her work, please visit elizabeth-kip.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.